everyone. Welcome back to Bushwalker's Diary, episode 10, season 1. Today we have Richard Dark in the studio with us to talk about his experience walking around the world. And I'm super excited to talk to Richard about his experience walking in Australia and now he's moved to UK and how he's finding walking in UK. Hey Richard, how are you going? Yeah, really well, Kavita. Thanks, yourself? Uh, very good, thank you. Uh, thanks for uh, coming on to the podcast today. And where are you these days? Well, I'm in the UK um, with this wretched COVID virus. has got people stuck in different parts of the world. And uh, I w- I'm over here and can't get to Australia, which I normally would be at this time of year. So um, I'm making the most of it here. Um, doing a lot of walking and you can get around in Europe a bit more than you can in Australia at the moment, despite the, uh, all the virus that there is around in Europe at the moment. If you're careful, you can, uh, you can avoid it. Hopefully fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yes. Uh, Which part of UK are you currently? I live in the Southwest uh, near a town called Bath, which is a historic town in the Cotswold Hills. And there's a long distance walk here called the Cotswold way, which is about, I don't know, maybe 130, 140 kilometers. And I live uh, just uh, on that walk. And uh, I do a lot of walking in the region. I lead walks for a local walking group called the Monday Moaners. Um, and uh, I'm building up a, a list of uh, walks that I know and can lead people on. And um, and hoping when things settle down to do a lot more walking in continental Europe as well. Also near nearby here is the Southwest Coastal Track, which is a thousand kilometer walk, which is more strenuous than most people think. And it goes around the, the coast of Southwest England. Cornwall, Devon, are you, Dorset. Are you planning any long-term walks in the future? Uh, well, I, I do, I'm doing that sort of a week at a time. I feel like it. Um, hoping to get back to... Um, I, I was wondering, uh, you did a track in Sweden recently. I'm really keen to hear a little bit about experience in, uh, how do you say, Kungsleden? King's Trail? It's the king and Leiden is the trail. So Kungsleden means the king's trail. It's, uh, I suppose you call it an iconic national walk through Lapland, north of the Arctic Circle. Um, it runs about 450 kilometers uh, just east of the Norwegian border in the, the mountain slopes um, uh, from a place called Arbisko in the north down to a place called Hemaven in the south. And it's um, a number of different sections. To do the whole walk probably takes about a month. Um, uh, my girlfriend Karina and I spent eight nights doing the first section the most northerly section uh, in August this year. Oh, wow. And how did you find it as compared to Australia, for example? Well, I mean, of course, it's a bit difficult to compare. The climate's different. It's, as I say, it's in the Arctic. It starts at 68 degrees north. Uh, Sweden's a big country. It's 2,000 kilometres long. And um, so it's right up in the very in the very top uh, near the Norwegian border. Um, the, only, the closest comparison, I guess, would be the overland track because they're both highland walks. They both have very variable weather. 
they both have expensive open mountain scenery. Um, this one's a bit different because it has lots of reindeer you can see. Um, uh, there's the local Sami people, the nomadic people that live up there that have their encampments in the area and they, and they herd the reindeer. And um, it's just beautiful uh, wilderness, rushing streams, snowy mountain slopes, you know, glacial lakes, um, open tundra, berries. Um, you can eat berries everywhere you go in the right season. Uh, lovely open birch forest. It's, it's a really beautiful uh, walking area. Wow. And I, I know from uh, experience talking to people that Sweden is a country of a lot of water. Did you actually have to take a lot of boats to cross different sections? Or it, yes. Uh, well, the section we did, there's only one boat crossing. But some of the other sections, yes, you have to do quite a lot of rowing between, across lakes between sections. This walk is nice because it goes from hut to hut, and the huts are spaced about 15 kilometers apart. They're run by the Swedish Tourist Federation. They're really nice huts. Um, you, they, they, they guarantee you a bed. Uh, they sell food in the huts. They have saunas. Um, they don't have running water. You have to get that yourself. They don't have showers. You have to sort of uh, wash in the lakes or with uh, bucket water. Um, they have outdoors toilets. Uh, they're clean. Uh, it means that you can walk hut to hut without having to carry a huge load because you don't need sleeping bags, you don't need tents, you don't need bedding, you don't need cooking gear because it's all provided. Um, so it really makes fun of walking from hut to hut. It's lovely. And what's the booking system? Is it like Overland Track? You can book it uh, or it's very busy and you have to book it quite a lot? Uh, it, it, the, the northern section can be busy because it's generally regarded as the most scenic and the most accessible. It's advisable to book, but in fact, they do guarantee everybody a bed that comes by. Now, this year is different because of COVID. They've limited the amount of travelers. And when we went, we found we had a bunk room to ourselves everywhere. We still met lots of wow. really interesting people, Swedes, Germans, Ukrainians, French, I don't know, people, Greeks, people from all over the place that were doing the walk. And um, uh, it, it's just a great, it's, 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 um, I, I, we, we just loved it. <laughs> very very nice and how did you find language uh, and culture uh, did you have any issues with that well the Swedes are amazing because they all seem to speak English and you know if they're going to speak not many people speak Swedish because it's a country of only nine or ten million people so uh, right. with the foreigners there English is really the, the language everybody speaks um, I mean I do speak some Swedish and I can it's, which is helpful of course um, but people are very open and friendly and helpful. Uh, there are day walks you can do from each hut, and the ward, each hut has a warden that, that's there for the summer, and the warden gets to know the area, and they're really good with advice of places to walk and, um, and things to do along the way. So you can, you can, take, you can take this walk. Um, best time to go is, um, well, until the end of June, there's still a lot of snow. So July, August into September, uh, July is the busiest period and when the mosquitoes are worst. But as August goes on and the weather cools down again, we went in August, we had temperatures sort of between 5 and 20 degrees. And uh, it was just great walking weather. A little bit of rain, not much, a lot of sun. Um, and um, found the mosquitoes were too bad. Um, 
So it's really a, a summer walk. You can also do it in winter cross-country skiing. For, for people that are into bushwalking, then July, August, first half of September is the time to go. And do you reckon, are there any mountains or it's just free flat walking? Or how is the, how would you grade the walking? The, the walking is moderate, but it's a good track. Most of the streams have bridges across them, but it's quite rocky. And it's, you've got to watch your feet all the time because you're walking from one rock to another and they're, they're not sort of laid out like a path. Uh, it's just rocky and you're sort of it's like rock hopping, some of it. Um, yes, there are mountains around. Um, the highest mountain is Mount Kaiser. That's about the same height as Kosciuszko in Australia. But given its elevation, okay. it, given its latitude, it, it has ice on the top, uh, glaciers. And um, so it's quite a challenge climbing that. Um, no, you've got mountains all around you and broad valleys and rushing streams and uh, fantastic vistas, sometimes above the tree line, sometimes in the tree line, the tree line being dwarf birch trees, which are really attractive. So it's very, it's very, very wow. it's, it's good. It's, it's uplifting for the soul to walk in a place like this and reindeer everywhere. We really enjoyed seeing can, the reindeer. I can only imagine I'm actually already dreaming to and <laughs> being inspired at the same time to go there one day. Another good thing about it is that uh, it's very accessible. You can take the night train from Stockholm or you can fly up to Kiruna, which is nearby. And from the train, which arrives at nine o'clock in the morning, you can get off the train, having been on it overnight, and just start walking to the first hut and right from the station because that's where the, the, the trail starts. And at the end of a walk, you wow. bus, bus, train, and, and plane communications back out again as well. And Sweden has a very good system of luggage forwarding. So if, you've, if you're doing a bigger trip and this, you know, you're just doing this as part of a bigger trip, um, then um, uh, you, you can forward your, your other luggage and pick it up at the end of a walk, which is great. And do you have to hire a service to do that? Or yeah, that's what call bus, bus goods. Bus goods, it means. And they, they have long distance buses and they have a compartment on the back, which is just for luggage forwarding, parcel forwarding, sort of like a postal service, really. Oh, very good. Mm. And what, how much cost wise, how do you compare it to Australia or what was your average uh, cost daily basis? Did you... Uh, keep well, it track you, 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 it's best to join the Swedish Tourist Federation because you get discounts on accommodation the accommodation is not cheap for bunk room accommodation uh, you're paying probably roughly about $50, $60 a night and if you're buying food along the way uh, and because of the cost of getting there that's not the cheapest either um, I mean I, I didn't I, to be perfectly honest I haven't thought about it in terms of what it costs per day I, I'd have to go back and toss it all up because we, we were combining it we're doing a lot of other that's things right. But, and of course, accessing it is not cheap because you, it's a long way to get there. So you've got your train fares and your, your, your flights and all that can be researched. The best thing to do, if for anybody who's interested, is to get the Cicerone Guide. Cicerone is a UK-based series of walking guidebooks or long-distance walks. And this one's called Trekking the Kunstleben and has all the information you need on how to book, how to get there, you know, what to take, um, you know, uh, risks, all the rest of it. You can... You, you, you don't have any surprises when you've when you've read the book properly before you go. 
nice. And what did you do with insurance? Did you get any insurance for the hike or overall? Um, well, I mean, if you're going to Europe from Australia, you probably need to take out health insurance and make sure you've got one that covers bushwalking. That's all. Um, I mean, I've got a European health card, so I'm covered in Sweden through that. Um, but um, most people right. wouldn't cross from Australia unless they're based in the EU. Um, and so just like anywhere else, yes, if you, wherever you're going, walking outside Australia, you, you, you need to have insurance and make sure that it's uh, okay for wilderness walking. Oh. Yeah, because uh, when we went to uh, Dolomite in Italy, we ended up getting some Alpine insurance, mm -hmm. only for the Dolomite Via Ferrata trip. Uh, right, well, there's no so Via Ferrata on there, so you wouldn't need any particular special <laughs> insurance, I don't think. Yeah, I'm assuming that was the reason why we got that, because it was the rescue mission would have been a bit costly if you didn't yes. have any insurance. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Uh, so I'm quite inspired. Thank you. And uh, I would just like to understand uh, the beginning of it all for you. How did you get into bushwalking? What inspired you to start? All right. Well, you know, I, I love the outdoors. I've always had desk jobs, so we can have to get out and about. I moved to Australia in 1996 from Hong Kong. I used to walk a lot in Hong Kong, which people don't realize is a good walking destination. In fact, I've taken Sydney bushwalkers on a, a big trip to Hong Kong several years ago. And um, when I got to Australia, I found that uh, somebody told me that the best way, because of the wilderness areas in Australia, the best thing to do is to join a club. So I found the Sydney bushwalkers and joined Sydney bushwalkers. Uh, it was in 1996, and um, and of course that gets you into it because they've got such a broad range of walks on offer, and you make friendships over the years through people in the club. And some of my most enduring friendships have been people that I've gone walking in the Kimberley and Kakadu and South America and Japan and New Zealand and all over Australia. And it, it's just been a wonderful window into travel opportunities and meeting people of like minds and um so yeah it's been my main hobby ever since very well said uh, richard <laughs> and uh, i'm quite curious to learn because you talked about so many countries uh when it comes to bushwalking uh do you have any memorable experience with sydney bushwalking club uh on an international trip. Oh, gosh, what can I say? Um, I mean, you know, the New Zealand great walks <laughs> have all been great. Walking in Japan with uh, Lee McClintock has been great. I've done that a couple of times. I've walked with the club in the Himalayas, um, the uh, Annapurna Circuit, and um, Apple Mustang. Uh, I don't know, going to um, Peru and Bolivia. I've had so many good experiences. Uh, um, the Dolomites uh, with... with uh, um, Ken Clacker, um, France. Oh gosh, I just I've just been fortunate enough to walk in so many different places over the years, and most of it has been facilitated by Sydney bushwalkers. Wow, that's that's a wonderful thing because I've done two international trips to both for Dolomites because I fell in love with them. Yeah, that's a lovely area, and I can. Uh, relate to the, I can totally relate to what you're saying and uh, as a people aspect I really like being part of the club because I used to be a member before and then I took a break and I came back to SPW after a few years and knowing that I knew a few people and I made more friends over the years it's a very unique experience I feel yeah that's right absolutely um, I think one of the nicest walks when I think about it I've done is um, uh, five 
on Rondon A5, one of the big national trails that runs north to south through the Alps from Lake Geneva to Nice. That's about, what is it, about 700 and something kilometers, I think. And that also, if you do in one shot, will take about five weeks. But that's a spectacular walk. And um, you're walking hut to hut there as well. I mean, that's what I like to do is walk hut to hut. Um, so, yeah, I've had some fantastic experiences and uh, it's all been good fun and hopefully giving some back by leading walks in different areas as well. So, um, and I'm just continuing that tradition over here in Europe now. Oh, wonderful. I was wondering uh, when you mentioned hot to hot uh, walking experience, that brings me to my next uh, question I'm, I have in mind. Uh, that how do you choose your walks? Like what makes you motivated to go on certain walks and what kind of walks do you usually enjoy doing? Oh, gosh. Um, I mean, there's much pack walking these days because I'm getting a bit older and don't quite like carrying a heavy pack so much. But earlier days, helicopter into Kakadu and, and, and sorry, into Kimberley and, and doing a whole lot of walks up there has been spectacular. But, I, you know, I love daily walks in the Sydney area as well, going up to the Blue Mountains and, you know, down to uh, Illawarra Escarpment uh, and Royal National Park. I mean, all sorts of places. Uh, I'll do anything. I like walks. As I get older, I like them to be a bit more comfortable than they used to be, than I used to need. Um, but, um, no, I'm pretty eclectic in my walking tastes, I think. You just like to get out there in, in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. I agree. Uh, I have the same feeling about walking. Uh, and but you walked a lot uh, in many years in uh, Sydney. Any area particularly that made you feel like home or became your favorite area? Well, I, I used to have a place down in the Illawarra, the Jamboree, Jamboree Mountain. Mm -hmm. And so I used to specialize in putting walks in that area around Jeringong Falls and Carrington Falls, uh, the Illawarra Escarpment. And not many, there aren't often many walks in that area on the Sydney Bushwalkers or the Bush Club, which I'm also a member of, I should add, program. So uh, when I was there, I used to lead a lot of walks in those areas, some of which I don't think have been walked much lately. In fact, um, somebody was in, Robin Christie was in touch with me recently asking me about how do you get to the bottom of Jeringong Falls? Because you got you got to know. <laughs> It's not obvious. And um, so I was able to help her with things like that. You just build up a store of knowledge over the years when you when you get into a certain area. So, yeah, no, I like the Blue Mountains. I don't like that area for walking best, I think. Thank you. And any any scary experiences you had so far or it's all been very well, good? Well-planned and never been in trouble. <laughs> um, scary. Yeah, I've had some experiences when I haven't been very happy with exposure in a couple of places, um, once in the Kimberley particularly. I've had to cope with the helicopter. You call it setting off the PLB with a broken ankle once in the Kimberley. Um, I guess I have been involved oh, wow. with people that have had the odd accident, nothing, fortunately, life-threatening, but, um, you know bumps and scrapes and um and things so when you're walking in wilderness areas you have to be prepared for that um and then That's yeah and if you can go can change something what would be your advice to take care of something if you have if you can well, if i could change something i i, I just wish that uh, yeah. new south wales would offer a few more long distance hut to hut walks uh, almost all the other states have got that now 
um you know places like the, the, the bibbleman and western australia the overland track um, the three capes in tasmania and other states as well and you know we've got the sydney to newcastle why can't you put huts on that walk um east to west through the blue mountains some of the coastal walks on the south coast uh, but the government doesn't seem to be interested in working with the bush community. So that's my biggest, I think, uh, regret is that that hasn't happened in New South Wales yet. And uh, I wish it would. I think uh, I understand where you're coming from, because after coming from Italy, doing the Dolomite trip, I felt it made such a difference to be able to have a place where you don't have to worry about rain or setting up a tent. Absolutely. You had some warm cup of tea at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Apart from Tasmania, I haven't experienced huts. Which other parts you were mentioning, they have a very good hut? Well, uh, for example, the, the Bibbleman track, uh, which goes from Perth to um, Albany in Western Australia, a thousand kilometre walk. Uh, Kangaroo Island in, in South Australia, um you walk the great ocean way in victoria and of course in the the snowy mountains there are various huts um i, I think you know most that they're more and more and, and and new zealand is the great example for that because all the great they've got this amazing hut network throughout the whole country and uh, it enables people to get out in the wilderness that might not otherwise be able to and, and enjoy it and and also it's good for tourism in New South Wales because people actually go to those places to do those walks. And um, uh, we've really got nothing in New South Wales that I can think of that's sort of hut-to-hut walking that's developed at all uh, in a, in a bushwalker-friendly way. No, I don't think mm. so. That's true. I agree with that. It's something that we can actually maybe work on. Yeah, yeah. But anything you're going to miss? <laughs> do you think you're going to miss Australia? Oh, of course. Uh, the, the, my friends, the, my friends, the weather, the, the uh, environment there. Um, I mean, it's nice to have walking here. Walking there is different. It's, um, it's totally different. I mean, I wouldn't miss, the, I don't miss the leeches and the ticks uh, and the other scary <laughs> snake experience. Um, but uh, no, I mean, look, it's such a beautiful environment there out in the bush in Australia all parts of Australia. It's, it's beautiful walking country. And and it is more remote, a lot of it, which you don't get so much of in Europe. You, you do on this Kungsleden in, in Sweden, but and then in, in the high Alps and the high Pyrenees, but um, mainly uh, walking in Europe is more civilized. Um, and it's nice to have the, the true wilderness that you get in Australia, especially, I mean, the Kimberley, I keep going back to that as a place. It's just wonderful walking up there. That's true. And you also mentioned you walked in South America. How was that as compared to Europe or Australia? Because it's not as well developed. Well, you, you have to do it really with a, a company because you, um, they, 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 there's no infrastructure. Uh, they, they, they give you, you know, the tents and the food and, and everything that you pretty much have to take with you. And it's very difficult to do those walks without doing it in an organized way. But you know, I mean, you know, you've got the different culture, you've got the different, um, and in South America, the people are completely different and the scenery is different and, you know, you're at much higher elevations. You're, you're often walking, you know, over 5,000 metres, um, like in the, in the Himalayas, and that has its challenges. But do you, do you find doing it private trips with the companies, local companies, 
as compared to SBW because SBW trips are also sometimes organized. Yes, they can be. Yeah. And uh, when you organize, they, they can be. Uh, I mean, sometimes with SBW, the leader has enough knowledge because they've been to an area before or they speak the language of the country they're in that they can organize it. But very often, if you're in the Himalayas or you're in South America, it's not like that. You have to go through an organization. And the problem is then, of course, it's much more expensive because you're paying somebody to put it all together for you. Uh, whereas in a club like SBW, people are usually doing it uh, just as their contribution. They're not charging any fees for it, of course, so it's much cheaper. And you mentioned you said uh, about Hong Kong. It's a very good destination for walking because I was there. I think I ended up being in the city area a bit more, so I didn't experience any walking parts of yeah, Hong Kong. How would you suggest people if they... What people don't appreciate is Hong Kong is... 40% of Hong Kong is national park. They call them country parks there. And so there are no people. And there's a big network of tracks to walk on. The, the, the longest is the 100-kilometer Makohos Trail. There are others as well. And so um, I belong to a walking club and I lived there and uh, got to know the parts of Hong Kong that aren't built up. And... Um, so I took um, about 20 people from Sydney Bushwalkers back there, I think about 2005, and we spent a whole week walking. And some of the people said, well, I don't believe that there's tough walking in Hong Kong. And I said, well, on one of the walks, we'll be doing 1,000 metres up a day. And by the end of the day, uh, that person uh, was had had quite enough. So <laughs> there's some quite challenging walking there. And nice scenery. You've got to be careful with the time of year because it's very hot in the summer. It's sort of a... It's best to do that in the autumn, sort of November, December time rather than July, August. And But uh, no, there's, there's nice walking there. Yeah. There's nice walking pretty much everywhere in the world. You know, Japan is wonderful for it. China, I've been walking in China too. And um, so, yeah, there's always there's always the opportunity. If it's countryside, you can get out and use your feet one foot in front of the other. That's true. And I think while you're there in Europe, I hope you get an opportunity to walk in the Switzerland the area way? as well, because I really enjoyed walking across oh, Switzerland. Yes. That's yes. very beautiful. I've, yes, I've done a bit of walking in the Bernese Overland. Yes, very nice. Beautiful. And do you have any hikes uh, planned, uh, long hikes, or are you just going to do... Explore the area um, not at the moment. I'll do a bit of walking, a bit more on the southwest coastal track in England. And as the season goes by and we see what happens with COVID and we don't know how that's going to interfere with everything going forward. It's not looking good, is it? So um, I don't know. I, we just have to wait. Next summer, I'll do something somewhere on the continent, but I haven't any idea. Oh, yes, I am going to the Canary Islands next October. I was supposed to be going this month, but we put it off because of COVID by one year. So walking in Lanzarote, there's some good walking in the Canary Islands. Oh, lovely. That's, that's good to hear. I'm hoping to hear some, some details about your work okay. after you've done it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, if you have to give some advice to our audience, uh, what would you say about walking either in Australia or internationally? Um, well, it depends whether the people listening are experienced walkers or not. If they're not experienced walkers and it's in a country like Australia where, where most of the walking is in the wilds, in the wilds, then 
join a club to do the walking. Not only do you is it safer, but you learn routes better. You benefit from the experience of people that have been doing it for years, and you build up um, a whole list of new friends. Uh, in Europe, you can usually do it, or in other in developed parts of the world, you can usually do it yourselves with guidebooks like these Ciceroni guides I was telling you about. And um, they have, I've got the hundreds of them, mm -hmm. and they cover walks all over the world, including Australia and New Zealand, I might say. They have guides too. And um, you can usually use one of those as your guide and do it yourselves. And you don't necessarily need to do it with any, you know, with a club. So, but for people that are getting started, I think walking through a club uh, is the best way to go because you learn faster, you develop friendships, uh, it's safer, and you get to see places you would never otherwise get to experience. Any message you would like to give it to people if they're listening from Sydney Bushwalking Club? Well, Bushwalking Club? hi to all my uh, Sydney friends, and um, hopefully some of you will come and visit me over here, and uh, we can do a few walks in Europe. And you haven't seen the back of me. I will be back. Uh, and thank you so much again for the interview today. I really appreciate it. And thanks for sharing your knowledge with our audience. And it's always good to hear people's experiences because it's the beauty of bushwalking, I find. People come from all walks of life and we meet because our main goal is to walk. And uh, yes, it's been... Well, nice to catch up with you too, Kavita. I've um, been following your adventures for quite some time and now some of the painting you're doing and all the different things you're up to. Thank you so much, uh, Richard, and uh, good luck with uh, all the adventures you're up to in UK. <laughs> and Thanks. take care. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. I'm Kavita Joshi, your host on Bushwalker's Diary. I would like to say thank you to everybody who is listening to this podcast and who has been supporting to this podcast since the very beginning in July this year. We wouldn't have done it without you guys. And I feel it's a big success to have most of our episodes being listened by a lot of people. So thank you again.